0: We are in a sermon series on the book of Daniel, and uh, we just went straight through. We had two messages on Daniel 1, Daniel 2, and Daniel 3, and last week we were in Daniel chapter 4. And Daniel chapter 4 and Daniel chapter 5, who will be today, are difficult chapters. Uh, I probably this week wrestled with this as much as I've wrestled with any text in a long time that I can remember to get what I wanted to say and... It, it, um, it was hard for me this week, and I really don't know why. Well, maybe I do, because chapter 4 and 5 are about a difficult subject. They're about God's judgment. And if you remember last week, it was about Nebuchadnezzar's, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's pride, and God's judged him because of his arrogance and his pride. And we pretty much get the same topic in uh, Daniel chapter 5. And it's a different king. Nebuchadnezzar is now off the scene. We're probably 40 years later. And the Bible says it's Nebuchadnezzar's son. Most people think it was his grandson, but there's no Hebrew word for grandson. They just say my son. And so we'll go with son today. Nebuchadnezzar's son, Belshazzar, is on the throne. And both of these chapters are about a very, very difficult subject, and that's God's judgment. God is uh, loving, God is a loving father, He's merciful, He's gracious. He's all of those to the nth degree, but he is also a God of judgment, and which means he'll do what he says he's going to do, and he's long-suffering, he's patient, but all through scripture, we see that God's judgment is exercised at, at different times, and here we'll see this in Daniel chapter 5, and we, we must remember that. And at the, at the judgment that we'll see today in chapter 5, he pretty much... Um, Destroys Babylon, uh, gives it to the Persians and the Medes. Babylon, who was the uh, the not the capital city like Washington D.C., but was the biggest city in the world at that time. uh, And that place in the world um, was the uh, the mecca of everything that was going on. And God just leveled her because of judgment, because of the pride of, of that nation and of their kings. And that's not a nice subject that anybody likes to preach. I don't get a kick out of preaching about God's judgment, but it's a much a part as God's word as any part of God's word. And I would be a coward if, if, if I somehow skipped that and went over to something that I may enjoy preaching a little bit better and you may enjoy hearing, but please know that God is a God of judgment. And, and I've, I've often thought, um, uh, United States has been flourishing now for over 200 years, but, um, uh, that er, there is absolutely no uh, doubt in my mind that if the United States doesn't somehow correct our ways and there's some of a revival, there will not be some kind of judgment coming on the United States. God is not a holy God if he, if, if, if he would withhold his hand for the, some of the things that we're seeing in the United States today. And, and, and judgment on the United States would be no different than judgment on Babylon. And Babylon was the, the preeminent place in the world of that time. And we think United States is the invincible place in the world, but God leveled Babylon and he humbled Babylon and he could do the same thing to the United States. And I don't like to preach that way. And I don't like to talk that way. But, uh, those of you that are uh, old as I am, when we see things and hear things and read things that are going on in this world, we just shake our heads and wonder how God could could withhold his hand of judgment. And maybe, who knows, and, and because we don't know the ways of God, maybe some of the things that we're seeing and some of the things that are going on could be a symbol of God's judgment already on this country as he's turned us over to ourselves, as Romans 1 says in our hardened hearts. And um, It's a very difficult thing, but always remember when God's judgment, there's a remnant of people. There's a remnant of people that he saves, that were people that were his own, that were people that followed him even against the flow, even against the flow. And, and as the world continues to go the way of the world, um, our job as Christians is to continue to follow him, even though it will be, the flow will become stronger and stronger and stronger. Amen. It just will. And, and, and it will become more and more difficult to go against the flow. It's so easy to go with the flow. It's easy. It's comfortable. You don't really have to do anything. You just go with the flow. But the Christian life has always been going against the flow. And God will give us the grace. God will give us the grace, no matter what kind of things are going on in the world. God will give us the grace to be able to go against the flow. And we can be able to do that as a model for our, our families and a model for our kids. Daniel chapter 5 is where we are today. And it starts with Belshazzar, who, whose scripture says was Nebuchadnezzar's son maybe grandson, who cares? It doesn't make any difference. Nebuchadnezzar's son, Belshazzar, is on the throne. We're about 40 years from the end of, of, of chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar is gone. He's not on the scene anymore. Belshazzar is the king, and he throws a party. And the, and the, and the Bible says that he throws a party for his lords and noblemen. And he, the, the, it's listed there as he's drinking wine and and uh, his, his wives are there, and the Bible says his concubines are there. So that day in time, wives would have been plural, and that day in time, concubines would have been as many girls as he wanted to be able to pleasure himself with. Some people would think that this was some kind of a, a wild orgy, and maybe it was, but it, it was a party that was going on, lots of drinking going on, and in the middle of this party that Belshazzar shows, throws, we see this verse, and it's Daniel chapter 5 suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared. Okay, so somehow, a miracle of God happened, and the fingers of a human hand appeared as if they were writing on a wall. And you've heard the expression, well, the writing's on the wall. The handwriting's on the wall. This is where that expression goes back to. Nobody just invented that expression, it's a biblical expression. Well, the handwriting's on the wall, which when, 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 we say, when we say the writing's on the wall, the handwriting's on the wall, what would we mean? Well, it's obvious it's going to happen. You know, the decision has been made, the handwriting's on the wall. So here in verse 5, we see fingers of a human hand appeared and rolled on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. Now his knees were not knocking and his face was not pale because of what was written because he did not understand what was written. It was just the sight of what he saw that must have been so awesome and terrifying to him. And because he didn't understand what was written on the handwriting of the wall, he sent for his wise men and and all of his astrologers and diviners to say, hey, what does this mean up there? So he sends for all of them and none of them can figure it out. And none of them can figure that out. And we get down to verse 10 in chapter 5, and we see this. The queen, which could have been Belshazzar's mother or uh, wife, we don't know. doesn't make a bit of difference. The queen, hearing the voices that the king, uh, of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. And then verse 11 says, There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, referring back to Nebuchadnezzar, in the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. And they're talking about Daniel. Daniel's probably 80 years old at this time. Daniel was an advisor to Nebuchadnezzar. But Nebuchadnezzar has now been off the scene for 40 years. And Daniel's just kind of out of the loop. And people have forgotten about it. He's not in the royal court anymore. He's not an advisor to the king. But the queen remembers about this person who advised your father, Nebuchadnezzar he says, your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. But as it does in today's time, when there's a new administration that comes in, there's new people that comes in. So Daniel's 80 years old and no longer is an important person in Babylon. Verse 11 says, <clears throat> uh, excuse me. And so he calls uh, Daniel and uh, Daniel comes and Daniel's an old man. Now, my people, uh, everybody here in the first service understood this and laughed at this, and but because it's an older uh, crowd in the first service. But I said, once you get to be uh, a good bit older, you don't really care what anybody thinks, and you just say whatever you want to say, okay? And that's kind of what Daniel did. Daniel, Daniel walks in and and gives a uh, and basically. Uh, Belshazzar says, Hey, I'm going to give you all this money, all this stuff. If you'll uh, tell me what it says. And Daniel basically says, You can read it for yourself. I'm not going to read that verse. But Daniel said, Hey, keep your money. I don't want your money. But I'll tell you what it says. And so, verse 18, Daniel starts the interpretation of what was written on the wall Your Majesty, the Most High God, gave your father, Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Verse 20 says this, but when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, and that's where we were last week, but when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was disposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. Verse 21, he was driven away. This is judgment. This was judgment on Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven away from the people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with wild donkeys and ate grass like that of the ox, and his, bo- and his body was drenched with the dew of the heaven. And here's a statement that shows three times in Daniel four, until he acknowledged, <clears throat> until he acknowledged, until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets them and sets them over, uh, sets them over them anyone he wishes. Next verse, please. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself. This is an amazing verse here, and we'll get back to it. Though you knew all this. Now, this would be an awfully important verse in Daniel chapter 5. Basically, he says, Belshazzar, you were pride, prideful, just like your daddy was, grandfather, who cares? do not make any difference. Though you knew what happened to Nebuchadnezzar though you saw what happened to Nebuchadnezzar, though you knew how the Most High God treated Nebuchadnezzar. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives, and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the God of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is what the inscription, this is the inscription that was written. Mene, mane, tecle, parson. And no one knew what that meant. And those words mean God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. That's what mene means. God has numbered your days and brought it to an end. Tackle means you have been weighed on the scales and you have been found wanting. Parson means your kingdom is now divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. That's judgment. The handwriting was on the wall. It had been decided. And verse thirty says that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And what so ha- and it just so happened that the Medes and the Persians were ready to attack from different directions. And Babylon was no longer Babylon anymore. Judgment. I want to go back to the verse I said that was really important in the whole chapter, and that's verse 22 of of Daniel chapter 5. And when Daniel says, Belshazzar, you have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. And that means, though you knew what happened to your daddy. Though you knew what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Though you saw it. You did not humble your Self. What I want to tell you this morning is that the writing is on the wall for those who know, those who know but won't learn. He says, Belshazzar, you saw it happen to Nebuchadnezzar. You knew all this. And the handwriting is on the wall now for one who knew, but he didn't learn. Learn is when you, when you learn lessons from someone, when you learn from your own mistakes, part and parcel to that is, is you don't make them again. You learn from that mistake, and that mistake I saw my dad make, I don't want to make myself. Most of the correction that I try to do to my boys is trying not to let them make the same mistakes I made. I want them to learn from those mistakes. Mistakes. There's nothing wrong with them making mistakes as long as they learn from them. And the text says, Daniel says, you knew what happened to Nebuchadnezzar, but you did not learn. There's a difference between knowing, knowing in head, having head knowledge. There's a difference between knowing and learning. And Daniels Daniel's uh, says, you knew, but you did not learn. And we all do this to some degree, don't we? We all do this to some degree. You, um, I assume there is. I haven't looked for a while. But when I used to work at Kroger's and part of my job was to keep the cigarette section full. And I knew, I saw the little... Inscription on the side of the carton or the side of the pack that basically says, if you smoke this, it ain't going to be good for you. That's not what it says, but it says something probably more eloquent than that. The certain general has decided. And so I would think, I would guess, most people, they, they probably don't doubt that because they've seen people die from emphysema. They've seen people die from lung cancer. They know that, but they haven't learned it. They haven't learned it. When I was a brand new pastor here, and I was still living in Springboro and driving back and forth every day. Some days I'd go 675, some days I'd go through Waynesville. Well, about in the first year of driving, I got three speeding tickets in Wayneville. You'd think I'd learn, wouldn't you? And you know what? Two of the time, he was sitting in the exact same spot. It's the human condition many times. Correct me if I'm wrong. To know, but not to learn. And the handwriting was on the wall. The handwriting was on the wall for Belshazzar because he had been exposed to the knowledge. He had been exposed to the Most High God. He saw what Nebuchadnezzar went through and judgment fell upon him because he should have learned from that. And so the handwriting was on the wall. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul writes in verse 6. And he he has been talking about some things that happened to their forefathers as Moses led the people through the wilderness. He says, Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Uh, This is God's word. We have it because it's God's word, it's God's truth. We learn about Jesus here. We have some secular stuff about Jesus as Jesus was a person that walked and many people thought he was son of God. We have a little bit of secular stuff about Jesus, but we would know very little about Jesus if it was not written for us and recorded for us in God's word. So we learn about who God is. We learn about who Jesus is. We learn about God's ways. But one of the big reasons that stuff has been written down here Paul says, is to be given an example for us. And may I use it in my own words, that we would learn by it. That we would not just know and not just be a a Bible uh, student and not just be able to know that story and that's well and good, but that we will learn from it. I'm so thankful for all the work that, Uh, Carol Ann and and Emily and all of them put in with with our kids that are quizzing and all of that and they've done that for a while and that's really good. They memorize passages and verses and that's unbelievably good. But it's not as good as learning from them. And one of the reasons we store God's word in our heart is that we may call it to mind and learn from that, I, I'm telling you here today that in 6th century B.C., the handwriting's on the wall for people who knew but did not learn. You know what James chapter 3 says? James 3.1, I believe, it says, not many of you should want to be teachers. Talking about teachers and preachers, not talking about elementary school teachers. Talking about not very many of you should want to be teachers or preachers. Because you're going to be held to a stricter judgment. That's that's talking to me. I make my living, I, I I make my living doing this. I have more time to dig into this than than most of you do. And you know what God says in James three, that the judgment that I will receive will be stricter because of what I know. And God won't care so much about, well, did you teach it, did you teach it, did you teach it? He'll want to know, did you live it, Mark? It's great to know, it's better to learn. Well, we've got 2023, we've got more different, we've got the Bible is is more, accessible to us than it's ever been before more translations that are out now pull up on your phone, pull up on your computer you can just There's, God's word is everywhere and there's so many opportunities to know but knowing falls short because learning is the deal and, and Daniel says, listen, you knew, you knew what Nebuchadnezzar went through. You knew it. And you did not heed it. The scripture says, uh, Paul says, these, these are written down as examples. You know, just, you just think about when God inspired the Psalms, and when God inspired the writing of Nehemiah, and when he inspired 2 Kings, and 1 and 2 Samuel, and Numbers, you know know the amount of things that had to be left out. These things were chosen to reveal who God is, but also so that would be examples that we would not either make the same mistake as our forefathers did, or that when they did right, we would follow in their footsteps. And we would not just no, we would learn. Uh, verse 7, do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. And God, there was judgment. God exercised judgment because he's holy. But also he exercised judgment as an example for other people to be able to see from and learn from that. Luke chapter 12, verse 48 is an is a amazing passage of Scripture. It's a kind of a scary passage of Scripture, to be quite honest with you. And they're, and they're talking about kind of how, how God is going to judge things. It says, the one who does not know, and does things deserving punishment, will be beaten with a few blows. For everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. So you, you wonder how the, 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 the little tribe in Africa that's never had a Bible, never had a missionary, you, you, you wonder how God will judge those people. Well, he'll judge them on the light that they've had. And he'll judge them, did they act in some way on whatever small bit of light that they had? Light meaning knowledge. And so, if if you didn't know too much, it seems like God won't hold you accountable too much, but for me and for those of us who have so much access and been in church all our lives, and know so much. Um, the handwriting is on the wall. For people that know. But don't. Learn. Much. Is expected. From those who have been given. Much. I've told you this. We hear a lot of. We hear a lot of talk now about the word privilege. and Privilege, privilege. We hear it in the. Sometimes in the connotation of white privilege. I don't know about all that kind of stuff, but I too know one thing. I lived a very privileged life because I was raised with a mom and dad who honored God. Unbelievably privileged. Everybody was not raised that way. And I had a leg up. I had a leg up on understanding this whole Christian thing because I had a mom and dad who honored God. I was, I was privileged. I was middle class middle class guy. My dad was a meat cutter at Kroger's and preached little churches on the weekend. Never made any money. We, I mean I wasn't privileged like in a wealthy way but I was privileged. <laughs> I was privileged. I'm here to tell you In this very difficult chapter on God's judgment, I'm here to tell you that the handwriting is on the wall for those that know, but don't learn. And I'm not making that up. I'm not making that up. Daniel Daniel says, Belshazzar, you saw what Nebuchadnezzar went through, but you did not, even though you knew those things, you did not change your ways. You were just as prideful. You were just as arrogant as he was. You knew. Those things, you should have learned from them. I also want to tell you that the handwriting is on the wall this morning for those who know but don't fear God. Those who know but don't fear God. We've said many, four, many times before that fearing God, the Bible says, Proverbs 1, 7, I think it is, it's the beginning of wisdom. It's just the beginning of wisdom. Being able to know that God is God, that, that he's to be reverenced, that, that, that he is to be glorified, that he is God and you are not, that he's not to be trifled with, that you were not to approach him flippantly, that we don't make jokes about him. He is God. And the is on the wall for those who know about God, but don't fear him. Now, where did you get that from, Mark? Well, it's it's in verse 2 of chapter 5. And in verse 2, I describe the party to you. Here's what it says about the party. While Bashar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. Stop there. So when Nebuchadnezzar invaded Judah, invaded Jerusalem, he, he took some POWs back. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were four of them. But he also went into the temple, God's holy temple, and destroyed the temple and took some precious artifacts from that temple. And here listed some of those were, were uh, gold and silver goblets that came from the temple of God. And so here's Belshazzar eating, drinking, being merry, got his wives, got his concubines, doing no doing who knows what, and then somehow decides to mock God by saying, let's go get those goblets that were taken from the temple in Jerusalem and let's have wine out of those. Man had no fear of God. You aren't flippant. You aren't flippant with the things of God. And sometimes when I see things and I read things, I just wonder, I say to myself, they have no fear of God. I hope for their sake, that's out of ignorance. That's out of ignorance, that's not out of they have knowledge and not act, I hope it's out of ignorance. They have no fear of God. You remember, and I'm not gonna remember this right because I didn't, didn't remember it in my preparation and I think God just brought it to my mind in the first service. The, it was The Lion King and, the, and all, all of this. Uh, was it? And it may not have been The Lion King, but it was a movie, a movie that Mufasa was in. Was that Lion King? Yes. All right. Based on C.S. Lewis' stuff. And so. Thank you. Lion Witch and the Wardrobe. Lion King was something else. Gosh, I'm 64. Give me a break, okay? So, Lion Witch and the Wardrobe, and they had they have this. I told you I didn't think of it beforehand. God brought it to my mind, but you shouldn't say everything that God brings to your mind. Somewhere in that movie, somewhere in that movie, or whatever movie that I'm thinking about. What movie was Mufasa in? Okay. That's what I'm thinking of. In the movie about Mufasa, he's got these little little animals that are always trying to kill him, and somebody mentions Mufasa's name, and those other animals go... You remember that? Yeah, am I halfway right on that? Okay. They go, Mufasa. <laughs> um, that's a little bit of fear of God. Ooh, Mufasa. Ooh. Even the name. Even the name. The handwriting is on the wall for people who know about God but may treat him in a flippant way and not honor him as the God most high and don't fear him. I've told you this story several times. I was a brand new preacher in Macville, Kentucky, and I visited a lady that went to our church. She always came and her husband never came and all the people told me he never ever has come to church. So I went and visited him, talked to him on the front porch and he was a farmer and, and I got ready to pray for him and this this, this guy that never darkened a church door when we bowed our head in prayer, took his hat off. We've lost that in our society. And that's not good. There's a certain reverence that goes with his name. I was in seminary, and I knew some friends that dedicated Christians, and when they referred to God, they referred to him as Daddy. And I get that, and I understand that. Romans 8, Abba, Father, and Abba is a tender word. I just can't call him Daddy. Mufasa, that's what I mean. I can't be that familiar with him. Oh, he wants me to be familiar. He, he wants me to have a close relationship with him. He wants me to walk with him and talk with him. He wants it to be personal, but he's God. And he's not to be trifled with. These are very difficult chapters to preach because we're preaching about God's judgment, but I have too much fear of God to skip over these. Just because they're, it's not easy to preach and it's not easy to receive. But I've got too much fear of God to skip over these. Because he's God. Because he's God. And he loves me enough to put his hand of discipline on me to be able to correct behavior. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. God cannot be mocked. And in that context, it's mocking God by saying that you can live any old way you want to live and not, and not reap the consequences of that. It's mocking God to be able to say, I can just live this way, live this way, and think God's hand of judgment will never be upon me. Hmm. I don't... I don't get a kick out of preaching messages about God's judgment. I'd much rather preach messages about how gracious He is, and He is, and how merciful He is, and He is, and how good He is, and He is. But you'll get a distorted picture of God if you don't understand that He's also a God of judgment. And if He doesn't judge, He not God. The writing is on the wall for those who know about God but won't honor him. For those who know about God but won't honor him. For those who know about God that won't learn. For those who know but won't fear him. For those who know, but won't honor him. Now, where did you get that from, Mark? Well, I finally wrestled it out of scripture as I battled with this for a good while to try to bring the message together. It was right there in 523 of Daniel. Daniel telling Belshazzar, but you did not honor the God who holds his hand, holds in his hand your life in all your ways. You did not honor." That is a Hebrew word that shows up three times in Scripture and it's only in Daniel 4 and 5. It's a word that shows up only in Daniel 4 and Daniel 5. And Daniel tells Belshazzar, you did not honor him. Honor him has to do with our life. Paul says in <clears throat> somewhere in 1 Corinthians that we whatever we uh, do, whatever we see uh, do all to the glory of God. It's the same principle. But you did not honor God who holds in his hand your life in all your ways. You, you knew, you knew, you saw what happened to your father But you did not learn from that. You did not learn to fear the most high God and thus you did not honor him with your life. And because of that, the handwriting was on the wall. Here's a tough illustration, but it fits it perfectly. This is the time of year in the church year that nominating committee meets. And we met a couple of weeks back in room 221 and we nominated people for church board and other positions. One's nominated for the church board and then the nominating committee, meeting don't think we're sitting in there and we're talking about people like are they good enough or not we don't if you get nominated your name goes on the list we don't say well probably shouldn't because she and, and no that, that's horrible we just if, if someone is nominated their name goes on the list but then that list gets filtered that list gets filtered through kelly ammon and most of you don't know who Kelly Ammon is, but Kelly, Kelly Ammon is our treasurer. She's an accountant and tends to be Hope Nazarene. And we send all of those names to Kelly Ammon to be able to see if they're faithful and if they're honoring God with their tithe and with offering. Because no one should be on a church board and making decisions for the church that's not fully invested. There's a lot of, there's, there's, that's the only, only committee that we have in the church where we filter that through. If you're going to be one of the 11 or 12 leaders in our church, you've got to be all in. Now, obviously, how do you know if someone ties? You don't, but you can, you can tell if the amount is so low, you can know, know that, well, that can't be a tie. And so Kelly makes his best judgment that he can possibly make. And every year, in every year, we get that list back and there are names that are scratched out. And I see those names. And it bothers me. Because they're not honoring God with the giving of his tithe. They know. They know. But they haven't learned. They're not honoring God in that part of their life. And at least this passage of Scripture says the handwriting is on the wall for people who won't honor God. Do you know? Things that you aren't following through? Do you know things from God that you are not walking in? Do you know some, some ways that God wants you to adapt or change? And you know that, but you haven't submitted yourself to that. If that's the case, then just like Belshazzar, you knew this but you did not learn it. That's tough. It hits us all, me included, right where we live. But I'll tell you once again, without making any apology, I got too much fear of God to leave this out. Because those of you who teach, Scripture says, you're going to be held to a stricter judgment. And I wonder, it'd be so easy for me to turn that page and preach something nicer and easier and more loving and more gracious. But I would not preach the whole counsel of God as he's called me to do. I came to tell you today that the handwriting is on the wall. For those who know... don't learn we we don't care if our kids mess up we care if they mess up and won't learn messing up is part and parcel to being human whether you're a kid or whether you're 64 but we learn from that we learn from that and for those who won't learn the handwriting is on the wall Belshazzar did not learn Belshazzar did not fear God and did not re- have any respect and he took the silver and gold goblets, and this is a really lousy example, and maybe it's one of the things that just popped in my head that I should have left out but it'd be like this communion stuff over here, and we're, we we used that in some way for whatever we needed to use that for in some way that was not what it was meant to in some blasphemous way. They were having this big party with wine and 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 women and concubines and all that, and he says, Let's drink out of the goblets from the temple of God in Jerusalem. And no fear of God. No fear of his hand. No fear of his retribution. No fear of his judgment. Handwriting is on the wall for those who know but won't learn. Well, as we close, you remember those words that were written on the wall? One of those words meant, as Daniel interpreted it, said, you have been weighed and found wanting. It's like you have been put on the scales and you've been found wanting. When all of us stand before God, When all of us stand before God, we'll be found wanting. But for those of us that have closed ourselves in the righteousness of Christ, there's a heavenly home waiting for us. God knows that when you, me, all God's children stand before him and the scales are weighed, we will be found wanting. But God made a way that even someone who can be found wanting can enter into his presence clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And that means I don't cling to my own righteousness in any supposed goodness about my own. But I believe that he died for me and my only righteousness is in the faith and trust that I have in him. That's one reason we do this, to remind ourselves that when judgment day comes, every one of us will be found wanting. But God has made a way that's represented by what we observe here. Our servers are coming to the table I think it's appropriate that we close the message on judgment at the cross of Christ at the cross of Christ God judged the whole world and found us wanting but he's made a way he's made a way you believe that? Your heaven or your hell is dependent on your belief, your trust, and your leaning. Not on your own goodness, but on the goodness of Jesus and what he's done for you. Father, I pray that uh, maybe because of something that was said that this communion service will be more meaningful than It normally is. Father, it's good and right that we close every service at your cross and especially good and right that we close a sermon about judgment at the cross where you made a way for us who will be judged and found wanting. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.